Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. That is, he just doesn't understand how everything works the way it does. And so he's curious, and he's used to explain all sorts of concepts. He's written as having the mind of a young child, and everywhere he goes, he just doesn't get why things happen that way. So we thought we'd start off, Rod, what's a, what's a, oh, it works, excellent. What's a helpful question for engaging with others? Start off a conversation. I think there's a, a, a dynamic of power in conversation, and particularly in questions. Um, if I say to you, <clears throat> you agree with me, don't you? Um, we're really talking about the answer and I've already figured out what that is. And I'm just there to see if I've got a follower or if I've got someone I've got to educate to sort out. Uh, and a younger thing before I was um, called to be a Baptist pastor, I was a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman as a student. And our opening line was, knock, knock, do you, hello, do you care about your children's education? which is a bit of a patsy question you'd have to say and I've learnt that the way to answer that question is actually no no I don't (laughs) because then there is nowhere to go and I experience this with the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to my door are you concerned about the current state of the world no, no I'm good (laughs) (laughs) was there anything else you wanted Because the question is loaded and it's a power grab. And to my embarrassment, I think about some of my early attempts at evangelism as being a little bit like that. You know, that thing about, you know, how sure are you, if you died tonight, how sure are you that you would go to heaven is a question a little bit like that. But if I ask you, so what's your story? and you start to talk, and I don't tell you mine as soon as you draw breath, and I just clarify and reflect, then I'm handing the power of that conversation over to you. Mm. And that, I think, is a real gift. Because one of the things I don't know about you guys have seen, I don't reckon anyone listens to anyone much anymore. It's, and so when you do, oh my. It's one of the markers um, most of us will brush across social media. And there's a difference between arguing about what is true, okay, which is so to listen to the truth, and the truth might be different from different or arguing your case because you're right. And you see a lot of the second one and not so much of the first one. How does God handle questions, do you reckon? We have just been um, working our way through some of the stuff in Genesis. And it intrigues me that when Adam and Eve do their thing, their bad thing, um, God's question is, where are you? And his follow-up question, who told you you were naked? Now, God is omnipresent, so he knew the answer before he asked the question. But he let it out there and he left it open. And same with Cain, you know, where is your brother? Well, he knew that 
Cain had just stuck a knife into Abel. But yet still, he asked the question in an open way. And that is an empowering thing to do. In their case, it didn't end well, but the question is still the question. So if we're looking for an open-ended question, how do you, how do you reckon... One's it about saying, where are you from? But that can be, if, if, that can be awkward for um, people who have lived in New Zealand all their lives but look like maybe they haven't. But where are you coming from has a sense of motion to it. That, that seemed like a reasonable question. Where are you from can be dangerous. Mm. I had a friend, um, I don't have any friends anymore, but I had one <laughs> once upon a time. And he asked this um, Chinese guy, very, in a very friendly way, so where are you from? And the guy said, oh, yeah, my um, great-great-grandfather came out in the gold rush in the 1860s and walked off and my friend felt rather small. Mm. So where are you coming from is, is good. Who are your people? Yeah. What's your story? Because no one, no one, all of us got here in this room having come from somewhere. So and at a simple level, you can answer it in lots of levels, can't you? You could answer it from, uh, I come from you know, a few blocks that way. You come from quite a few more that way. And uh, Andrew, where are you coming from? Well, um, this morning I actually drove from Akaroa, uh, so that was a long way to come. Wow. Um, yeah, spending the long weekend over there, the family batch, which is nice, but it's great to be here. And I kind of want to uh, maybe dodge the question a little bit, because I, I think in behind that question, where are you coming from, um, there, there is this layer of identity. Who am I? Um, and, and what makes me me? And that has become really complex, I think. And you kind of touched on some of the social media stuff. I think identity has become one of those uh, particular topics that can cause a lot of tension. Uh, to, I guess, simplify that, I, I guess as Christians we want to look at that fundamental identity as being one based on our baptism. And it's really cool to hear that here at Parklands you've got three people being baptised next week. So Zeke, Liam and Grace, if you're here, you might want to listen intently uh, in case you don't know what you're getting yourself into uh, in <laughs> baptism next week. Uh, but I see, I see baptism as really a, a dying to yourself, the, the things that, the, 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 I guess the cloak, it's taking that cloak off that you had once had and putting on this new one. So you go under the water and it's kind of like a burial uh, you're, you're going under the water and then you're coming up, out into new life in Christ. And you're taking on Christ's identity. And what I find really cool about that new identity is that it's not just a baptism into Christ, but it's also a baptism into his body as well. So you're becoming part of a new family and your people change. And so your relationships with family are, are not just those biological, but they become um, connected with people all across the globe. So I think that there's that body, that sense of um, belonging that comes with baptism. And that's important for our, our sense of identity. Uh, I think that that's distinct. That's a, a, a localised community. So Opawa or Parklands or Oxford Terrace, these are our local families. But it's also global as well. We have these um, connections that go right across every tribe, nation, and tongue across the world. And that is quite a remarkable thing too. 
I'm reminded of my sense of identity, my sense of people, where I come from every time I walk into church. And so I look around the room and I see these faces of people, both who have known me since I was in nappies, and those who uh, I've only known for a short period of time, and yet I have this connection through Jesus and, my, and through baptism. And so I know these are my people. And there's a particularly cool thing um, that in our church building that is a reminder of this. If you've ever been to Oxford Terrace uh, since the rebuild and the new building's gone up, um, you may have seen this part of our building. Uh, it's called our Cloud of Witnesses, and it sits above the baptismal that we have. On it are a number of names of people who um, have been members of the church in the past, and they've um, signed their name in the membership book, and then those names have been scanned and put onto pieces of wood that came out of the old church building that fell down. And so this is our whakapapa. This is our sense of family, people that have gone before us. So it's a sense of family that's not just connected to those who I know, but those who have gone before, who have um, paved the way for who I am. Uh, There's a verse written uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, you know, throwing off that cloak, of our old lives, of everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I have this uh, sense of being in a stadium. You know, the Olympics is coming up. The sense of being surrounded by a crowd. I don't know if there'll be crowds at this Olympics this year because of COVID, but um, it's like... Those who have gone before us are cheering us on in the race, and we're the ones carrying the baton, and we're going to pass it on to the next ones that come through. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, so what? That's one of the beauties of asking an open-ended question: is people go to the things that are important to them, and I'm thrilled that you have a chance to share that here, because that's right. We've got baptisms next week, and it's not just about. It is about being in Christ, but also joining this, pe- this crowd of witnesses, the ones who went before us, actually the ones who go after us, and there's a, a width and breadth to it. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Um, Janet, you've gathered you can go anywhere you like. <laughs> well, I'm going to go anywhere I like. Because um, <laughs> I also from? interpreted the question slightly different. But I will. So I'm a Christchurch girl born and bred, and I haven't really come that far to be here. Um, I've always lived on the east of, of Christchurch and, and love it here. Um, I, I interpret it as um, where am I coming from as a, as a now? Mm-hmm. What's the thing that makes me and the reason I do the things now why I do them? So um, unlike these guys, I'm, I'm not a pastor of a church, I am a centre manager of a Christian early childhood centre um, and I've been involved in that place for over 18 years and so that's my whanau, that's my family um, and the people that are there and the families that are there, a lot of them have been there for a long time and a lot of my staff have been there for a long time and so we have these really strong connections and um, we're all Christian um, faith, um, the, the staff that are there um, but we only probably have, at most, 25 to 30% of our families are church families. And I want to go back to that first question about what questions do you ask. One of the things I like to use are how questions. How can I help? Um, how, you know, when I talk to people, when I invite them in, 
and I show them around our centre. Um, I talk to them a little bit about the faith that they all see hopefully evident within our centre and I always ask them how does that sit with you um, because I want to have a bit of a sense of, um, of why they've chosen to come to us but also what connection to faith do they have and the vast majority of them always say, yeah, you know, that's really good. Um, I love the morals. I was brought up at a Catholic church, used to go to Sunday school. And it's amazing to me how many people are out there that actually have this connection. So, um, yeah, so when I say, how can I help? What are you wanting? How, what is it about this place or about me or about my team that actually um, encourages and inspires you? So the so I've grown as, a, as an adult over the years <laughs> and also as a teacher and as a person who relates to other people. And one of the things that where I'm coming from is connection. We all actually want to feel part of something. And um, it's really important that when people come into what's essentially my place, um, that they feel that they are accepted that they are loved and that they are included. And, um, you know, we'd love that same thing in our churches, that actually people feel it's a place of safety. So the place I suppose I'm coming from is a place of, of hope and life and love. And that's really important to me. And one of the reasons I asked Janet to come, I did have a, a little bit of a hidden agenda, was just that I was aware, we've got a couple of theologically trained um, uh, ministry people over here, and, and you're working with kids, and kids are kind of glorious, because they ask anything, and actually, you can ask anything, they see the world differently, like it's, it's neon coloured, it's, it's astonishing, their world's the way it's, their world is full of magic. How is it, is it asking questions of kids in a preschool? Um, yeah, kids are pretty amazing. A lot of time they don't ask direct questions. Sometimes they're incredibly rude, <laughs> you know, um, and you just got to accept them for that. But a lot of times the things that they want to say to you, they don't actually have the words to say it. So it's really important that um, you try and tune in and get a sense of... I can see what you're doing and I can see what's happening, but you don't have the words to explain that. So you see that a lot with children um, who have, um, who might erupt, have real issues self-regulating, and all they really want is just to know that they're safe, that it's okay. And I think as adults, we all need to feel that as well. And so I've learned a lot about adults from watching children. I do have to tell a story. Um, we had a few years ago, um, a really sad event happened and we're blessed in that we don't get many of our parents die, but we did have one of our parents die in a really tra tragic situation. And um, I was alongside the, the son, and he had, um, I think he had felt pens, and he got these felt pens out, and he said, you know, this pen is, is me, this pen is my sister, this pen is mummy, and this pen is daddy. And he put the daddy pen to one side, and he said that daddy had died. And I mean, what do you say to that? <laughs> it was really, really hard. All I could do was just acknowledge that and just say, yeah, and that's really sad. Um, you know, I said, you know, that, I did, you know that, that Daddy still loves him, that Daddy is with God and Daddy is safe. But that's the kind of thing that children say. They're so brutally honest and they wear their feelings 
on their sleeve, on their, you know, you can see their emotions, but often they can't say it. So um, as adults, it's really important just to, to be alongside and to connect and to actually go, I can see you're hurting, how can I help? And, and that is exactly the same with us as adults. Sometimes we don't know what to say or either I need help or this is what's happening in my life and sometimes we don't know what to say back. But actually just being alongside people and loving them and, um, is so important. And for kids, yep, um, they're great. Kids are fabulous. Best memories of, of just lying on the ground, just looking at the clouds with um, one of our kids. And this is going back probably, you know, 13, 14 years. He's this great big tall kid now. Um, but just that memory of just being there and spending time. And those are what I remember. Not the questions. Mm. It's the time mm. that I've spent with them. Um, because they make sense of their world. Um, yeah, so it doesn't really answer the question, sorry, but I wanted to share those thoughts. Well, that's a bit... Um, in Parklands, there's been a, a, a psychologist doing a study through the university, um, and they've been using our property to do it. Um, and so they, uh, about two or three weeks ago, they, they gave us a report back, what have they been finding out? And one of the things they talked about was parents of young kids, it's pretty tough being a parent of a young kid, and one of the best things they th could do was actually get them together and just say, this is what it's like. Because that very process meant that they were processing and almost normalizing it. You know, my two-year-old keeps saying no to me. And it's, it's something really freeing in having another parent go, yeah, that's happening to me. And then you have a pet psychologist who says, it's a stage of de development, which is also, but that business of talking together is really important. Now, we haven't asked Rod this question yet, but I thought I'd sneak a dirty on him. You see, he, um, Rod, has done some work in all three of our churches. Most of you will be familiar with, with his face um, and uh, smile. And um, Rod, instead of asking you where you're coming from, I, I, uh, and I did I have warned him, I just want to ask you, Rod, where do you think we are coming from? Because you've got a little bit of an insight on each church. What, what do you think is going on there? I was... Um raised by people who, if they were still around now, would be in their 90s or over the ton. And they had gone through uh, the Depression and the war. And their attitude to um, those things was, oh, well, no use crying over spilt milk. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's get on with it. Let's not dwell in the past. Let's not look back. Let's look forward. I can see a few nods around the room. And one of the interesting cultural clashes in um, our country is that the Māori world looks at it completely differently. You don't go into the future looking forward, not looking at your past. You walk backwards into the future looking at your past. And I think there's a lot of conflict comes from that mm. fundamental different way of looking at it. And I've found that the Māori way of looking at it has actually taught me quite a lot. That how we, what we've been through shapes where we're going and how we think about it and how we think about the future. And I think if I stand back and consider the last 50 years, it's been a tough half century for the people of God in this place. We have had the rise of consumer culture, the back doors from a power Baptist church 
um, used to be places like Sprayden Baptist Church. Now it's Grace, and you're probably familiar with that here, um, of a couple of thousand people, and it's Shine TV. Is where people leave my church to go to. We've had a massive decline in volunteerism. I have a friend whose father was the senior minister at Palmerston North Baptist about 50 years ago. At that stage, there was about 800 people in that church, between 800 and 1,000 on a good day. They had one full-time pastor and one one one-day-a-week office person, and that was it. Now they'd have a dozen people if they were that big. We've had the rise of pluralistic thinking, you know, my truth is as good as your truth and who are you to tell me what truth is anyway? Um, Explosion of choice and entertainment. I don't think it's an accident the church started getting into strife when television came in because there wasn't a lot happening in the New Zealand in the 1950s from what I can gather. I was talking to a person who's in this room who immigrated to New Zealand in the late 50s and her advice, she was given the advice, go join a church because that's the only stuff that's happening on a weekend. (laughs) And we have been on the unpopular side of the civil rights issues of the last 30 years about civil unions and gay marriage and homosexual law reform and all that. And so we find ourselves now, I think, very much on the fringe. Our faith, our religion is uh, in the private, personal part of our life. And yet our gospel has not changed. So if we were to look at it as farmers, well, it's the same plant, but it's a very different weather system that we are grappling with and having to live within. So I think for all of our churches, and they're all slightly different, it's a time to reinvent, to reinvent ourselves. For Opawa, uh, it's Opawa 3.0 that we're looking at after 110 years. To find our place in Waltham, which is younger, poorer, more transitory, and more coloured than we are. And that is a challenge. But that is our challenge to be the people of God in that place. Oxford Terrace is probably up to 5.0 by now. I don't know. Dick? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's been around since 1880? You were there. 1885? 1862. You were there. You don't look a day over 400. <laughs> And I think you guys are doing really well because there's a new generation of Oxford Terrace people coming through now. Um, It looks different, massively different from how it did 10 years ago. Sometimes good things come out of earthquakes. And I think for Parklands, who I had a bit of time with your leadership a few years ago, there's a challenge of being able to do a few things very well with great love rather than feeling the need and trying to be all things to all people. And all of those things are challenges for us. So that's where I think we're coming from and that's perhaps where we might be going. That's the thing, that's the question, isn't it? 
Where are you coming from is a great way to find out someone's history, where they have come. For Christians, there is a question of where are you going? And that's a question that's full of hope and energy. And actually, so is the question of where are you coming from? Because if you, as Andrew did, if you go to your identity and we start to become aware in the life of Christianity, do you know the internet is a fad? It probably won't be around in a couple of thousand years. Because once you start thinking of identity as longer and bigger, then actually it changes our framework. And suddenly there is hope in the Christian story, hope for us, both from where we have come and where we are going. That's, um, that's our conversation. I um, wanted to commend to you, because there will be uh, morning tea here, and there won't probably be enough chairs out there, sorry about that. We'd like to leave you with a question that you could ask of someone you didn't know. Where are you coming from? And then be gracious and listen to where they're going. Hit us with a benediction. This is an Irish benediction. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your fields. And rains fall soft upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen.